So Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it for may or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Thanks very much, Jean. Why don't we pray again as we come to Jonah chapter 4. Father in heaven, we thank you that you, as we learned back in chapter 1, are a speaking God. Thank you that you have something very important to say to the city of Nineveh, and you have something very important to say to your people today. Please, Lord Jesus, give us ears to hear and hearts that will rightly respond to your word to us this morning. And Father, as we come to Jonah chapter 4, as we focus our attention on the care and the concern and the compassion of our great God, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be working our hearts, giving us a similar care, a similar concern and a similar compassion for the people of this world and we pray it for Jesus sake amen question for you this morning if you've ever had the privilege of seeing someone become a Christian or maybe even playing a small part in the process how did it make you feel 
Or maybe even if you're a Christian here this morning, you reflect back on that moment of salvation for yourself. How does it make you feel right now? We had the Khan family around for lunch a couple of weeks ago and we sat around over lunch and we're talking and and conversation turned to Zia who became a Christian about three years ago and and Zia's talking about God's work of grace in in his heart and his life and there's just there's just a sense of energy in the room because we're talking about God and what he's doing in the lives of people and then Lucy chips in from her point of view and, and she talks about seeing the process of Zia come from a fairly apathetic position to the position of trusting Jesus for himself. And do you know what? If you could have taken a picture of the room that afternoon, it would have been a room full of smiles. Because you know what? When you reflect upon the grace of God in the heart of an individual, the heart will rejoice. It's the, it's the inevitable consequence of watching God at work in people's lives. You see, celebration follows salvation. Have a look at this little verse here from Luke chapter 15, verse 10. This is the the second of three parables that Jesus tells us about lost things being found. And on each occasion, when lost things are found, the celebrations begin. Here Jesus is telling the parable of the lost coin, and look what he says at the end of it. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner. He repents. When one individual soul on earth turns back to the living God, it kickstarts a celebration in the heavenly places. And it's a celebration that, of course, should be reciprocated on earth, right? So now as we come back to Jonah chapter 4, with Jonah chapter 3 in view, all that God has done in grace for this city of Nineveh, here's the question, how will Jonah respond? Because it's not just one sinner turning to Christ. God brings a city of 120,000 people to its knees in repentance. Remember the journey we've been on back in Jonah chapter 1? We have a man on the run. God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach to it. Jonah says no. And he runs from the word of the Lord. God, in his grace, pursues this reluctant prophet and he saves him from the waters of judgment. And then in Jonah chapter 3, we see a man now on a mission transformed by the grace of God. At the start of Jonah chapter 3, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Go. To the great city of Nineveh. This time Jonah obeys and he proclaims the message the Lord has given. And what happens? The people repent. The people receive God's great compassion. So now, how is Jonah going to respond? How does he respond when he witnesses God's mighty act of salvation in Nineveh? Let's read. I'm going to pick up from chapter 3, verse 10. Last verse of last week. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah overwhelmed by the grace of God, celebrated with the people of Nineveh long into the night. 
There's a few people chuckling because you're looking at your Bibles and you know that that is not how Jonah responded, right? You're longing for him to respond like that with celebration at what God has done in Nineveh. But he doesn't. This is how he does respond. Have a look at your Bibles. The screen maybe lies sometimes. The scriptures never do. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is how Jonah does respond to what he sees God do. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. What on earth is going on? Why does Jonah respond like this? Why does he not celebrate? Why is his heart full of anger? You see, as we followed Jonah on his journey, I don't know about you, but I find it pretty easy to relate to Jonah at various points along the way. His reluctance in speaking God's message, his disobedience, his weakness, all these things. I watch Jonah and I see myself in him. But here we come to chapter 4, verse 1, and I think we find it a little bit harder to relate to Jonah here. Why does he not celebrate? Why does he respond as he does? And the answer is our first point of two this morning. That Jonah has forgotten about grace. Have a look again at verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What is the this? It's Jonah chapter 3. It's God relenting. It's God's outrageous compassion on this people of Nineveh whom Jonah thinks are undeserving of it. A wicked people repents. God relents and Jonah doesn't like it. And so he prays in verse 2 and 3. But his prayer here is very different to the prayer that he prayed in the belly of the great fish right back in Jonah chapter 2. Because that was a prayer of praise and thanks for God's wonderful deliverance. But here in chapter 4, it is a prayer of anger and frustration and almost bitterness directed towards God. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah knew what God was like. You can see it there in verse 2. He knew that God was a God of grace and a God of compassion. And this has been the key theme that is coming throughout this book, isn't it? God's compassion for people. Back in chapter 1, his compassion for the pagan sailors. Chapter 2, his compassion for Jonah himself. And chapter 3, his compassion for the city of Nineveh. But as we've got inside God's heart and begun to understand his compassion, we've looked at Jonah and in stark contrast, in the heart of Jonah, we see someone who is seriously lacking compassion. It's why he ran. That's what he says himself in verse 2. It's why he initially ran from the word of the Lord back in chapter 1. That is what I try to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. You see, Jonah didn't run because he was scared to speak. 
Jonah ran from the word of the Lord because he lacked compassion for the people of Nineveh. This brutal, cruel dictatorship. Jonah didn't want them to receive God's mercy. He wanted them to receive God's judgment. One of the things that I've been praying throughout this series, and certainly as I reflected upon verse 2 here of chapter 4, is that God would increase our compassion for lost people. If only by margins, God would be at work in our heart, helping us be a little bit more like the Lord and a little bit less like Jonah. You see, as we understand how Jonah reacts to God's wonderful grace in chapter 3, don't we see in the heart of Jonah something of the older son in Luke chapter 15? You remember the story? A father has two sons, younger son, older son. Younger son takes his inheritance, goes off to a foreign land and blows it in wild, reckless, open, sinful living. Just like Nineveh. But he comes to his senses. He repents and he turns around and he comes back to his father. And what sort of father does he find? One who is full of grace and compassion and willing to forgive. But you remember the older son? When he finds out how his father has responded in grace to the younger son, how does, his, how does the older son respond? He's angry. Just like Jonah. How can my father treat this such terrible sinner with such grace? And he refuses to join the party. The older son is angry. And it's exactly the same as Jonah. As Jonah sees God's grace towards this people that he thinks are undeserving. How can God show such grace to such an undeserving and wicked people? He thinks they deserve God's hand of judgment. Not God's hand of grace. And he's that angry that we learn in verse 3, he would rather die than live. What is the root of Jonah's problem? Why does he respond like this? Well, I think it's this. He has forgotten about grace. He's forgotten his own experience in Jonah chapter 2. He's forgotten the lesson of the great fish. Oh, how easily God could have left Jonah in the waters of judgment. Jonah deserved nothing from God. He ran from the Lord and his journey, his trajectory was a downward one. It took him to the pit, to the grave. The wages of sin is death. And God could easily have left Jonah there. But he doesn't, remember? In grace, he intervenes. In grace, he lifts up. In grace, he saves by means of this wonderful, miraculous provision. And he puts Jonah's feet back on solid ground. You see, Jonah is no more deserving of God's grace than the people of Nineveh. That's grace. No one deserves it. But it comes to us through Christ, to those who would repent. Oh, how quick. Jonah is to forget the lesson of grace in his own life. I don't know whether you remember this little picture that I showed you in week one. 
We open with a question at the start of chapter one. How big is your view of God? How big? And we said, just like Jonah, do you know what? We often go through life with a dinky toy view of God. It might be nicely formed. We might be able to say the right things about God. We might doctrinally hit the right notes. But in reality, our view of God, our view of his grace and his love and who it is for, is ultimately small. Jonah's got a dinky toy view of God's love, right? He's happy with God's compassion for the people of Israel. He thinks the people of Israel, his own people, they're deserving of God's grace. But when we step out of our immediate circle of influence, when we go to the other nations, the foreign nations, the wicked people of Nineveh, well, that's a different story altogether, right? Jonah's view of God's love, his grace, his compassion, and the reach of it, who it is who it is for, is actually still small. So here's my application to you at the end of point one this morning. It's a question. Has the grace of God taken hold of your heart in such a way that you share God's compassion for the nations? Not just your inner circle, Not just your own friends and your family. Not just the people that you find it easy to love, who you like spending time with and hanging out with. What about the people you don't get on with? What about the people you don't naturally love? What about the people who are committing hideous crimes? What about Islamic states? Brutally murdering thousands of people every month. They're probably the nearest equivalent of modern-day Nineveh. Does your heart extend with compassion for them? Do you pray for them? Do you yearn for them to know Christ as well? Or is our compassion limited just to a few people that are around us? You see, it's our job and our joy as a church to remind people of God's grace. You remember our last sermon series in one anothering to teach and admonish one another and encourage one another and honor one another? We do that as we point people back to God's grace that we shall not forget it. That God would flood our hearts with a joy in what he has done for us and that flows out into a compassion that extends to all people. Jonah had forgotten grace. And it must be one of our prayers this morning that we don't, that we help remind each other of the grace of God. Grace forgotten and grace abundant. You see, even now, God doesn't reject his servant, but gently reasons with him in verse four. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? However, Jonah's not in the mood to reason. He stomps out of Nineveh, heads east of the city, pitches up a little shelter, and sits down to watch the fireworks. Have a look at verse 5. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. You can imagine the scene, can't you? Jonah's angry at the grace God has shown, and like an ungrateful Child, he stomps out of the city and he, he pitches up the shelter and he sits down. But, but what is he expecting to see? What is Jonah expecting to see? 
Well, he's expecting, he's still hoping, in fact, to see Sodom and Gomorrah part two, where God rains down burning sulfur on people who are wicked. Jonah's still hoping for God's hand of judgment rather than his hand of grace, which is what God actually extended to the people of Nineveh. You see, Jonah's still not got it. And so the Lord must teach him a lesson in verse 6, and he uses a plant to do it. Look at what he says. Then the Lord, provide, the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. Just as the Lord provided a great fish back in chapter 2, now the Lord provides a plant for Jonah's comfort. But, verse 7, at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered and the sun rose. And once again, Jonah is stomping around like an ungrateful child. And so God spells it out to him in verse 10 and 11. The last couple of verses of this wonderful narrative. And these really bring us to the key into the heart of the book. If we don't understand these two verses, we've probably missed the big thrust of what is going on here in this book. Look at what the Lord says to him. You have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Do you see the focus of their concern? Jonah is concerned about a plant. He didn't plant it himself. He didn't tend it. He didn't make it grow. But he's still angry when it's gone. The Lord is concerned about a people. And it's the big theme of scripture, isn't it? God is concerned about the people that he has made. Again and again we see God's great heart and concern for people. And if it needed to be any clearer, of course we come to the New Testament and we see the cross, do we not? Because there is no bolder statement of God's love and care and concern for the people of this world than the cross. Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates, shows, reveals his own love, care, concern for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not because there's anything good in us. While we were still sinners, Christ died. He died for the Ninevites, died for Jonah, died for me, died for you. Have a look again at the first part of verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? It's a rhetorical question. Of course. Of course, Lord, you should have concern for the people that you have made. And so should Jonah. And so should we. D.L. Moody 
the American missionary and evangelist in the 19th century, was for a time in London. And God was very gracious through his ministry. Thousands of people were converted to Christ during that time. And one day he was approached by um, three members of the clergy of the Church of England. They came to Dwight Moody's house and and they said to him, Dwight, tell us your secret. Why is it that so many people under your preaching are repenting and turning to the Lord? And he said to them, come with me. He took them to the window and he said, look out of the window. What do you see? One of them said, I see see an old couple just, you know, walking down the street holding hands. Another one said, I see children playing happily in the park. And as the story goes, the third clergy turned to Dwight Moody and said, tell me, Dwight, what do you see? He said, I see thousands of souls at risk of perishing if they do not find a saviour. I see thousands of souls at risk of perishing if they do not find a saviour. What do you see? You see plants. They're part of God's creation and they're good. They live and they die and it does not matter, right? It doesn't matter. People are made in the image of God with souls that will last for eternity, either in God's perfected, glorious, and new creation under his blessing for all eternity or apart from God's goodness under his judgment in a place called hell. And so I must ask you, as I've asked myself, what do I see? What do you see as you look out the window? What do you see as you look out the doors of this church? What do you see as you look out your window down the street or the road that you live in? What do you see when you look across the office? What do you see? You see, it's a mad end to the book, really, isn't it? (laughs) Does Jonah get it? Does he get it in the end? It's no Hollywood ending. We don't know. We don't know what happens. There is no chapter five. God purposefully leaves us without knowing. You see, the bigger question is, do we get it? Did Jonah get it? Don't know. Did he sprint back to Nineveh and join the celebration with his new brothers and sisters in Christ? We don't know. Did he continue to sit angry and bitter in his little shelter, not fully understanding grace? I don't know. We don't know. But the bigger question is, do you get it? Do I get it? Do we share God's concern for people and their eternities? Does our heart beat in time with his? I'm going to leave that little verse on the screen and give you, give you 30 seconds or a minute. It's, it's one of the great insights into the heart of God in Scripture. And as you look at the heart of God, would you lay your heart next to his and ask yourself the question, do you share God's great concern? Does your heart beat in time with his. Take a moment to reflect. You're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding 
in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. We're going to stand in a moment and finish by singing, Here is Love, as we contemplate that little phrase, a God who is abounding in love. We're going to sing of God's love that is as vast as an ocean, loving kindness as a flood, when the prince of life for ransom shed for us his precious blood. As we said, the, the boldest evidence of God's great love and care and concern for the people of this world is the cross. It's the cross of Christ. It's the cross of Calvary. And you see, when we get the cross, when we help each other remember the grace of God that comes to us through the work of Christ, then that is the inevitable response. Who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Let me pray for us as we finish our time together. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father in heaven, please help us to never forget the love of God and the grace of God that comes to us through the cross of Christ. We thank you that Jesus died for us not because we're good or because we deserve it. He died for us while we were still sinners and totally undeserving. But grace to us comes to us anyway through Christ and through trusting in his work on the cross. Please, Lord Jesus, remind us of these truths every day of our lives. Flood our heart with joy and love and compassion. And a love and compassion that that flows out of our lives to the people of the world around us. So would we go in your strength and will we go with the joy of the risen Lord Jesus in our hearts. And we pray it for his glory. Amen.